Welcome to the Clam Jammers Podcast, the semi-erotic podcast exploring the strange world of smut and kitsch in all its forms. Welcome to the world of Shore, Miri, and Put Upon Penguin Crabsworth as they play, chat, and laugh their way through all of life's intimate topics. Come for the sex, stay for the weird. That's all we're allowed. Is it? Yeah, we don't want to get sued. Oh, yeah. Disney. Anyway, we are back with the long lost episode on Rogue One. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, we had to redo it. Oh so, no. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, I know you've talked about this already, but our first draft of this was like two years ago. And yeah, was it, it two it, years? Well, we were planning the sit like I remember us doing um if it's not two years, it was close. We were doing Star Wars Legacy of the Force in early 2022. It is, is now November 2023. And we had plans to do Rogue One. That was the one exception to the rule we had where we were going to stick by the trilogy because we both liked Rogue One. And when I watched it back again uh, after being on a live stream with you where we couldn't use any of the audio because we could get sued. um, Yeah, it was... It was so weird. I liked it then. I liked it now. I went back, rewatched it, and I liked it even more. Except for one glaring thing that we're going to get into. But now the spoilers are done. Oh, so that reminds me. There will be spoilers. There will be swearing. If you don't like it, I don't understand why you're still listening to us. (laughs) Like, really? We're called the Clam Jammers Podcast. The podcast for sex, kitsch, and all its other forms. You have a you have a uh, show with Miri here, and sure, that is pretty well all about that stuff. So you can't get away from it. I don't know why you're still listening to us. Uh, if you are a child listening to this, please make sure mommy and daddy are in bed. <laughs> I love the disclaimer. So on that note, we're going back to our our old format, which is probably going to be a little bit more sporadic. Oh, yeah. So plot line. Plot line we're doing off of memory because someone forgot to take notes on the plot, and that would be this guy. Woo! to me. Um, so I'm going to do this off of memory. So Rogue One takes place right before A New Hope. Um, and we are introduced to a character who is uh, being tapped to get plans of this new weapon by the Empire because her dad was an engineer on it. And there's actually this yeah. really beautiful opening scene where he, like, the, the oh, Empire it is comes gorgeous. for him. It's so it is beautiful. All, it is gorgeous. And the one thing that I will say about this movie, right off the cuff, this is probably the best framed movie in terms of shot composition. 
It's so Everything. gorgeous. And it there's so much information that too. Like yeah. it's just it's so well put together. Yeah. If you look at the shot composition of this movie, bar this opening, which is really which is really just an environmental set piece and it's really, really good. And you get the information that you need. And I'm going to let you go on, I swear, but almost every shot of this movie is composed in such a way to make you feel cramped mm-hmm. or pressured in some way. It's gorgeously done and it works so well. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I love comp. I love I, I'm going to get into it later. I, I love that stuff in this movie. So um, father was taken when she was a child. Her mother was killed. She's been on the run in the underground. She's getting tapped to do this. And then she starts meeting different people along the way. So some underground rebels, some more. Um, and by underground rebels, I suppose it would be more. More, more militant. Yeah. Left wing would probably be the, the, the closest comparison to have there uh, with a very interesting character who he like he's so beat up he can't breathe on his own but he's so terrified of them getting taken that he he commits well what would be considered war crimes but also the empire is committing war crimes but two wrongs to make a right we're not going to get into that anyway um this ragtag group forms of like a former empire pilot. We've got our droid. We've got our like, you know, the dashing hero. We've got the girl Um, and they go and they eventually find her father. And there's this moment between them. And we get that answer to why did the first Death Star take so long? It's because he kept sabotaging it on its way. Um, He dies, they get the plans. They end up on this planet. they also gather a force user and his buddy um, and they have to go break through um, like a kind of force field that's keeping, for lack of a better term, radio waves from sending through so that they can send these plants. Um, these are really epic, well-composed, well-choreographed fight scenes. The whole beach scene is beautiful. Um, they all die oh, yeah. in the end, and it's um, it's actually a little bit refreshing for for Star Wars to lean into that. And then we get this coda, and this is major spoiler territory, by the way. So we the plans go, they get onto a ship, and then they have to send. Um, what is it? They get onto a ship that launches another smaller ship, which I think all of you will remember from New Hope. And then Darth Vader shows up on that larger ship. And there is this incredible hallway scene that is just done so amazingly well. Oh, it's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, And then the final scene is um, uh, Princess Leia. And this actually happened shortly after Carrie Fisher's death. So this was done before. Um, getting the plans. What is this? It's hope. Um, and that the, um, uh, I don't know what it's the motion model for that was Carrie Fisher's daughter. Um, that got me all emotional. I think it was only a couple weeks after Carrie Fisher died that I saw the movie in theaters and like to go from like, holy shit, it's Vader to like, no, no, 
my god, this is the best tribute ever. That kind of happened to you. I, I was on an emotional roller coaster that day. But we'll get into <laughs> details as we go through the movie. But that's the basic plot: is it's setting up for New Hope. It's a contained story. It's not. There's no TV. Sh- well, there was like a prequel TV show, but there's no TV show. There's no. Um, additional movies there's no like trilogy happening it's very contained which i think is yeah. quite refreshing you, you can Wars. actually watch this and understand everything it's doing yeah and understand its place in deeper star wars universe if you want to you don't have to no absolutely not it it does a good job of tying in but also standing alone oh yeah so uh, before we before we go any further into this, uh, you talked about your reaction in theaters. Uh, my reaction in theaters is um, this movie was showing in our theater in our small towns, and I had uh, two small cousins obsessed with a few things. Uh, two of those things were me and Star Wars. Um, their mother knew I had just graduated from university and was at home in January trying to figure out what was next in my life. Uh, she told me that she needed help with the older one as he's seen Rogue One. Uh, this was about January 2017, but the younger one hadn't, but the older one isn't old enough to stay on his own. Like he is nine, 10, he's, he's old, but he's not old enough. Um, my response was always, no one can know. Whenever I responded, yes. Um, so I I get to the theater early by design. And um, she gets to uh, the theater with her kids. And uh, she's got to go to the bank. And um, they look and uh, the younger one is like, is that Crabsworth? Um, and what, and, um, their mother looks at them and they're like, I don't know, you know, you can go and stand with them if you want, if you think that is Crabsworth, um, which should have been a dead giveaway to them because she never let them stay. She would never let them stand with somebody they didn't know. (laughs) They decided against it and, and to go to the bank. Oh my God. Um, so I'm sitting there for like five or 10 minutes and then all of a sudden they show up and they say, Crabsworth, it is you. I said, well, yeah, what, what do you mean, honey? I'm, I'm here to see a movie. Just, just like you're here to see a movie. What movie are you here to see? Rogue One. Oh, well, that's a strange coincidence. I'm here to see Rogue One too. And then the thing started to click in place for the older one. And he gets excited and he turns to his mother saying, what did you do? What did you do? Um, and she and she said uh, nothing. I just thought that, you know, if by chance he happened to be at the Tuesday matinee. That, um, you know, he would want to see Rogue One with you guys. And so I sat with the oldest one who is telling me everything he knows about the movie as I'm sitting there watching the movie. That's so cute. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope your little sister appreciates this. I know she won't. Um, I also pulled a Nathan and um, went with them to the snack bar before the movie starts 
and deliberately got all their orders wrong. Oh, no. In the best way possible. I know. I know you. So Jerry um, in Kazakhstan knows you. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, by the way, shout out to Jerry in Kazakhstan. Thank Jerry! you so much for your constant support. Uh, but I went I went to the theater and um, I went to the snack bar and I'm like, OK, don't worry about it, kids. I know you both are afraid, so I'll order for you. And don't worry, I'll get everything right. <laughs> so um, the little one who was sharing with her mother said, I'll have a small popcorn. Okay, she'll take a medium popcorn. Um, two small Pepsis. Yeah, a small Pepsi and a large Pepsi. And and the and a thing of fuzzy peaches. A large fuzzy peaches. Larger. There we go. And you, you don't get a choice on popcorn. He'll have an extra large popcorn, extra butter. Oh my goodness. Because he was sharing with me. Ah. Yeah. So, so yeah, he yeah he was quite happy. I I said, what? Nathan eats much more than your mother does. We have to make sure that you get enough. <laughs> and then I deliberately up up sold or I upsized his drink too. They were both very happy, mm-hmm. especially when I said, no 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 no. I know mommy give you. I know mommy give you money. Stick it away. You save it for your computer that you've been telling me you want to get for a year. And you, um, I don't really care what you do. Put it away for the iPad pad mini that you said you wanted. I don't really care. Aww. Now, now remember, now remember, you say that you got everything from mom and there was like 25 cents worth of change. Mm-hmm. You gave it to Nathan, so she wants to change you, ask Nathan. And unfortunately, their mother said, found out I was lying and made them give back all the money. Oh, no. And I thought to myself, damn it. Now, well, I still upsized all their snacks. (laughs) But can I just start with Rogue One and say it was really jarring to me to not have an open credit scene. It was the first Star Wars movie of its kind. Yeah. Because it did not have an open credit scene. It's not a bad or a mark against the movie. I just found it weird. And I it think all- it says something about expectations. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like it, it's neither it's it's neither a good or a bad thing. Like the movie's still brilliant, but it's just yeah. it says a lot about what we expect when we see a Star Wars movie. And it doubles down on this because like nine, nine times out of ten, the establishing shot for any Star Wars movie is spaceships, mm-hmm. whether it be a giant star destroyer or whatever the heck um, the First Order used. I would still call it a star destroyer, um, or like the Galactic Senate, what what have you. Uh, this establishes itself on a panoramic shot of a beautiful planet. Star Wars hardly ever uses panoramic shots. Mm-hmm. Hardly ever. Of beauty versus of menace. And it works so well because it's so beautiful. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Kid Jin Erso, the small child, um, because she is the best actress out of any child actor or actress they've ever had on Star Wars. Because she can control her face mm-hmm. and use it 
and it's so refreshing. Uh, shout out to the line, oh, here's La- oh, here's Lyra from the Back from the Dead, a miracle. Because the delivery on it was so bloody good. Um, also, by about the second musical sting, which is where um, the they gave the order to find Jin Erso, child Jin Erso. Uh, you can tell this isn't John Williams, which is fine because this movie doesn't feel like Star Wars of old. It feels like a deviation. It's actually Michael Giancino of uh, the Spider-Man movie th- fame who does it. And it's a great thing all throughout the movie. Yeah. I also felt that it was um, taking what's already been established as like, this is what we think of when we think of a Star Wars uh, soundtrack and making it different oh, in, yeah. in a good way. Like it, it was quite, it, it's a, uh, this is the wrong term to use, but it's an amazing variation, I guess, extrapolation of a theme. Does yeah. that make sense? And that goes even further into the opening scene too. Yeah. Because all this movie did in its first 14 minutes was established how cold, calculating, and intimidating the Empire can be. It's such a nice change. There's no trade relations. There's no Ray Ray Abrams. Just, hey, if you weren't afraid of the Empire before. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the movie goes, and as Mir's already said, they've found Jin or so, okay? Um, she's in this holding facility with a whole bunch of other rebels. Um, she basically gets offered an ultimatum, do you want to get out of here? And she says yes, so he unhooks her cuffs, and um, she headbutts him and immediately books it out of the uh, I don't I don't know prison vehicle I guess would say I just have written here oh that's a real fine way to thank someone who unhooked your cuffs and doesn't look like he's going to kill you because he's unarmed but hey I'll give you points for running away um, we also get uh, an introduction at this time to my favorite character in the movie which is Alan Tudyk's K2SO um, who clotheslines Jin Erso and says, congratulations, you are being rescued. Alan Tudyk throughout this entire movie is just gold as K2SO. I, he, sorry, I, I, I was on mute. I love that scene so much. Congratulations, you're being rescued. Well, bam! That's so good. Um... And I, what's unfortunate is he brings to one of my big problems in the movie because this droid, K2SO, I care about him more than any of the other characters. Like, by a country mile, I don't but, care about any of these guys because they're destined to die. But see, that's, you ha- that's the thing, though. You, you really identify yeah. with the droids. And they put that character in for people like you well, to force you to be emotionally invested. Uh, see, here's the thing. It's not that the characters, bar the droids, are being acted terribly. No, this is one of the best acted Star Wars ever. Oh, yeah. Um, particularly, we'll get to him, Forrest Whitaker as Saul Guerrero. 
God, oh, you Forrest enjoy his Whitaker performance. Is, is just yeah. on fire. Even, even Jin Erso, uh, I have in my notes, I don't care how bad you are, which you're not, still better than Ray. Oh, no, she's, she was such like, a refreshing character to have after yeah. the JJ years, I guess we could call them. Well, the, the JJ year at that time, only episode seven was out. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was. If, if, if feel say so that that tells you a lot about how JJ affected our our perception of things. You've heard of Kogo. You've heard of COVID time. Let's introduce you to JJ time. Oh God, it was true. Um, so she gets taken away and uh, gets pretty well interrogated by the rebel, by the rebel left wing underground much more realistic depiction of what the rebellion is. Um, it's a pretty well rat out Saul Guerrera who found Jin, uh, nurtured Jin, etc. She hasn't seen him in years, but I have written here. Yeah, the rebe the rebellion interrogation here just makes the rebels out to be almost as big of scum as the Empire. You can understand why and the scene is good, but still darn. Well, and that that goes back to why I was. I really wish I could have seen the the Star Wars nine that would have followed Star Wars eight. Yes, because eight, at least when we got into the trading and how there are these rich elites who they don't care who wins or loses. They just care who they send their weapons to. I was like, finally, we're getting some gray area, like when we had Lando in The Empire Strikes Back, that gray yeah. area. And it felt like Rogue One was like, we're gonna fully show it, is that, you know, even today- There are extremist packs on both sides. Yeah, and even today, I, I don't think I have to mention any of the events going on today that exemplify it, but- <laughs> But there, there is, there's the saying that like, um, there are no winners in war, no one comes out clean in war. Um, they're true. And this is, I find Rogue One hits that on the head. Oh, yeah. And it hits it very, very well. Yep. It's also part of the reason why I don't really like any character in this that isn't the droid. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't hate them. They're all acted very well. I just don't care. Yeah, but I, it's, I, I think it's, what's interesting is for this movie, I'm invested in the story. Yeah. So invested in that story. I'm invested yeah. in the environmental stew. Uh, that being said, K2SO in three lines had proven himself better to be better than uh, BB-8 and more useful than 3PO. Um, <gasps> that, that's, so that's fine. One of the biggest ones is why does she get a blaster and I don't? Honestly, a damn good question. <laughs> because later on he gets a blaster and he proves to be a damn good shot with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I also like this idea that it's kind of like, I don't know if we can trust the, the, the murderous person in the corner type trope that goes yeah. on. That's like, uh, they don't mention it, but there is this vibe of like, do we trust the murder robot? <laughs> <laughs> because there is always that character, whether it's a robot or a person or something where you're like, do we trust you? Should we? <laughs> Um, the the other ones are. Uh, where did you get that? Found it. I find that act that answer vague and unconvincing. 
<laughs> uh, and um, would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. It's very high. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and we we then cut to uh, the first thing of who Sol Guerrero really is. And I just have written here, only in Star Wars can an oxygen mask be intimidating as fuck. Because Forrest Whitaker hits the one mark he needs to with an oxygen mask to make it intimidating as fuck. It's it's beautiful, great work, Forrest, great work, writers. I don't I don't know why you have an oxygen mask on Sol Guerrero. It was never explained. Um, and there's no there's no emphasis, at least to me, of him being wounded in the vocal area. But God, that oxygen mask is intimidating as fuck for somebody who you don't really know. The character is really established oh, at I this also, time. I also like the not over explaining. Oh, yeah. Because the these are these are characters where we don't know their whole selves. No. Yeah, so oh yeah. I I enjoy it's kind of like but it makes no sense why would he have a blah 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 that's not the point you you will meet people the, in your life where you don't get to ask those questions yeah uh, you gotta accept it and move on you know what I mean oh yeah but yeah fucking thousand percent For, Forrest Whitaker using an oxygen mask like yeah as intimidation like it's such a good combo of writing and I, performance I don't know. But I don't care. It's intimidating as fuck. It's amazing. Exactly. Um, we switch back to the Empire here that talks about um, the Death Star plans and how they've been compromised. Um, Grand Moff Tarkin's CG face. It's oh, bad. It's I, really bad. I honestly, so I got to be perfectly honest with you about CG faces and stuff. Yeah. I think even if they are indistinguishable or something, they are always and forever going to look off and bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I just I just think that you could have spent a billion dollars on every frame. Yeah. It is still not going to look right. Well, in the case of Graham off target, I could tell you exactly why. Fine. It goes into the uncanny valley. Yeah. So there is there is a point for those who don't know there's a point in uh, human humans and how we visualize and perceive certain things where we know that something is off but yet it looks too realistic in the field of like animation um or any sort of generated image and what is supposed to be aesthetically pleasing or aesthetically shocking. Like, say, the case of Grand Moff Tarkin's face in particular just becomes off-putting because it delves into the uncanny valley, mm -hmm. which and is just... It, suspension of disbelief only goes too far. Yeah, and but that that's the thing is, like, I'm, I'm not going to rag on effects like that when I genuinely believe it doesn't matter how much how good it gets it's always going to have that vibe yeah like, i that i genuinely believe that it's just like how um 
people who do the AI generated images, um, in I want to be specific, the ones that are supposed to look like photographs or something like that. Everybody's like, oh, it looks so great. It looks so good. And I'm like, it. you're no. perceiving it as looking that good because we are conditioned to consume media that has filters on it. Yeah. It looks that good because you are conditioned to accept a filter. That's why it looks that good. Yeah. Um, and so that, but that's what goes into like, I'm not going to rag on whoever did the effects because like, you know, this is top of the line, cutting edge stuff for oh, the time yeah. period. No, it's, it's just, it's, it's great always, stuff. it's always going to have that vibe. It's, it's yeah. like how I prefer uh, creature features that use a combo of puppetry, makeup and computer effects to enhance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yoda. Yeah. Un unless we're going to go with something where the whole place is like a CGI landscape, then it kind of just blends in and I can accept it because I'm like, oh, this is this is an animated world, whatever. Yeah. Um, like with uh, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland and then the sequel, it it's kind of it's also not meant to look hyper realistic. Anyway, yeah. I went on a side tangent there. Let me let you continue. <laughs> yeah. Um so but no it's a side tangent that needs to be talked about too because it's it's not just in this movie and the and i do have a note here it gets better if you go into future star wars stuff heck leia is better in this movie but i think that's because they have carrie fisher's daughter as reference material yeah versus just solely what carrie fisher looked like in the 1970s yeah well, I think that's why um, they used uh, Mark Hamill's son is the, the base for uh, the younger Luke Skywalker in, in Book of Boba Fett. And it looks yeah. it looks better. Yeah. Oh, and and Mando. And yeah. I think Ahsoka. I can't sure remember. Anyway, uh, I but you like know, I, I, compl I completely agree with you is you you yeah. have a base from two people who not just are related, but look quite similar to yeah. to who you're trying to capture. So it's it's tweaking rather than yeah. from scratch. Yeah. Um, now we get into one of my problems with the movie. I actually don't have that many with this one. I love this one, but I don't know if it's a writing problem, a Kathleen Kennedy problem, or a modern Star Wars problem. 27 minutes into the movie, I dig the story, I dig the cinematography, I dig the music, but I don't care about any characters at this point thus far in the first 27 minutes other than K2SO. I know I'm supposed to, but I couldn't even remember the female protag's name. Uh, in the notes at the time, I had Sol Guerrera, Scavenger Done Right, in brackets not. Tarkin, and K2SO. Uh, hey, I need you to go back and do that yep. list again. Okay. So I have um, Sol Guerrera, Scavenger Done Right, Pilot in the Series I Should Know, Grand Moff Tarkin, and K2SO. Yeah. See, so this tells you our difference in, um, I guess, storytale consumption yeah. um, is didn't bother me at all. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, I don't 
But this is also, you're talking about somebody who goes See, through life not remembering names and stuff like that. So to me, it's just, it doesn't matter. And See, I don't either, but if I'm watching something, I need to get invested in its character. Oh, I can watch something and not be invested, though. That's the that's the thing. Yeah. The, the thing that gets me about something like The Simpsons, especially early day Simpsons, is it's funny as hell, but the characters are where I got my rocks off most of the time. It's not funny because it's a funny situation. It's a funny because it's a funny situation based off of how Homer Simpson reacts to it ah. or Marge Simpson reacts to it or Mr. Burns reacts to it. Um, so I just, I, I just I, didn't care 27 minutes in and bar K2SO. And I don't know if that's a problem, but I found that too with 789. If you weren't an original Lucas character, I didn't care about you particularly in 7. I'm going to call BS when you oh, get yeah? to 8 if you're going to say that. Oh, no. I'm I'm going to say 8 tried to make things better. But there was one character you were invested yes, in who was, that was brand Rose. new. That <laughs> yeah. was Rose. Rose is fantastic. I'm not going to take anything away from Rose, but And then JJ put general, her in the shredder. And then JJ puts her in the shredder. And I have to go right back to not caring about anything that's new or different and actually I might have just answered my own question it's a writing problem because uh, if you have a better character writer like even Ray didn't bother me as much in episode 8 yeah Finn didn't bother me as much in episode 8 uh, Poe Dameron didn't bother me as much in episode eight because you had a better writer yeah, writing it because because you had a better character writer. Okay, yeah. so so it is a writing problem and the Kathleen Kennedy problem. Um, that being said, it it didn't bug me so much in Rogue One because I was invested in. Oh, the because story. the story is good. Yeah, and also just because I was like, I also understand that they're trying to get to. Uh, different age demographics yep. and so to me it was kind of like okay because on surf surface level you need it to work for children and yes I get it kids get things yes they do they absolutely do but to deny the fact that kids for the most part get things at a certain surface level is to kind of deny things like no. each character does play an archetype that's easy for a kid to understand and they're going to know something's wrong when a supposedly good character does something bad but those kind of real world linkages uh, unless you're han solo in which case yeah you do bad things that's yeah but it's but it's like the the real world linkages and the implications of that, I tend that's an older audience that starts to get that. And by older, I mean, we're talking late teens, early 20s is when you start to really understand that impact. Oh, yeah. And even when you go further into that, into that, um, like, I have to eat my own words a little bit because Solgara ups his intimidation by interrogating the Imperial pilot defector. Oh my god, the way the, they set up that scene. Yes. Holy shit. Can you I, talk about that? Because I it's 
I likened it to when I watched Pan's Labyrinth, where um, this guy is about to torture one of the the farmhand servants. Yes, it is. It is played out like a drama. It is timed like a drama and they build it up so much that this horrific thing is about to happen. Basically, it's this creature that kind of breaks your brain apart and can tell if you're lying or not. But you may or may not be normal afterwards. Yeah. In fact, you you may go entirely insane. Yeah, you may be insane. You may become a vegetable. You may just be slightly off. Who knows? Uh, But this is deemed as necessary because they have to absolutely trust that what this guy is saying is true because it has implications for how many hundreds of thousands of people. And then if you go into that, we're talking about millions, billions of citizens who are under empire rule. And it's, it's, it's that it's the true, I don't think I've, I've had something feel like a true, uh, gray area since I did set this is off topic but since I did research into um, medical ethics like if you yeah. want a gray area look into medical ethics because that's that becomes a whole other ball game and because people seem to think if you have universal health care there is no gray area there absolutely is there, there yeah. absolutely is and it comes from the fact that you have people with power of attorneys over them because they literally cannot communicate or understand what is going on around them and that just brings up a whole thing so yeah it's it's and what's so funny is it's not a graphic scene but the way no. it's set up, it is so horrifying. And like you said, with the cinematography, you feel this tension, yeah. you feel this pressure, you feel the fact that he cannot escape. This is going to happen. He All he wanted to do was help, and this is what's happening. So it's, it's quite intimidating that way. I need to pause. Yep. So I'm interested then because, like as you said, the torture scene is insane. Um, just after that, we get the introduction to, um, I call him the blind man and the gunner. Donnie Yen! Sorry. Yeah, Donnie Yen. Um, the blind guy, force-sensitive savat, which is, by the way, how you do a force-sensitive savat properly, JJ. Yeah. Um... But we go from one beautifully shot and composed scene to another. Uh, you remember the one where just after they're introduced, uh, you've got the blind girl crying. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing just stops. And I I remember this scene. Uh, it left an impact so hard watching it back because it's it's one of the few times I can't hear a little nine-year-old in my ear when I watch this movie. Because, like, that's where I'm just like, I don't even have to devote any brain power to this. This is insane. Um, I can see why. So, basically, you've got a blind man saving a little girl who is separated from her mother. She couldn't Mm -hmm. be more than four years old. As the stormtroopers are trying to, like, push everyone aside because they're on patrol for some fugitives. Um... We were coming off a very safe Star Wars movie. 
mm-hmm. when this was first released. We were coming off of The Force Awakens, probably the safest Star Wars movie you can get. Um, this universe that Rogue One is in is not safe. No. At all. Mm-mm. All of this movie's cinematography, all of its sound design, um, all of its shot compositions, which are things I don't usually care about, uh, are doing a number. They're selling cramped, uneasy spaces, and things can go south at any moment. Um, You're walking through, there's a ton of shots of just, there's a ton of crowd shots where there are two or three stormtroopers in with a crowd. And so every conversation you have, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's so there's so many instances of this. Yeah. Just in random spots. I just I love it to death. Um, I don't care about like like boy oh boy. Uh, the child crying scene is indicative of this because everyone's being pushed away except for this small child who, again, is very young, does not understand the social mores uh, and just how dangerous it is. And the blind guy literally can't see it. Yeah. But so he is able to go in, save this child, reunite it with its mom. Uh, everything except characterization in this movie works so well it is crazy just how good this is um then afterwards we got minus five points for the stormtrooper dick shot like we we got a we got an extreme close-up of a stormtrooper's cleavage and dick and we don't need that I'm sorry. If you want sex kitsch in all its forms, you can listen to Clam Jammer's podcast. Yeah. You've got needed in Star Wars. <laughs> um, um, I I've got to say, like uh, the the Force user savant character. Yes, I was really pissed off that people were saying that um, he was there to you know, get the get the quote unquote, the Chinese crowd so that they could sell the movie in China and make more money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you are doing such no. a disservice to the writing and to the actor on that by boiling it all down to that point. Also, I do want to yep. point something out. Whatever you may feel about China, boycotting a Disney movie does not impact China in any way, shape, or form. Boycotting a Disney character does not impact China in any way, shape, or form. If you actually want to impact China, the Stop simplest buying. exactly the simplest thing you can do is look at the products you're physically buying. Where was it made? Yeah. Anything you order online, where was it made? Stop buying stuff manufactured in China. But it's yeah. it, it's sorry. It just it made me so annoyed when I was seeing that because I'm like, you're you're actually missing the entire point and what you could be doing. Yeah. But yeah, I loved that character. I loved the gunner who, especially the way that they play it off, where like, it, oh yeah, is he a force user or? Or is the gunner just making sure he doesn't get in trouble right at the last minute? Like, I really liked <laughs> fo- that dynamic The force protected happening. me. I protected you. Yeah, exactly. And then, which makes the scene at the end so oh. much more powerful. 
because no, the gunner couldn't protect him. He was legitimately using the force for a lot of it. And unfortunately he's not perfect. So exactly. And it's, it was so, oh, it's so, so it's much so wonderfully powerful. done. Yeah. And I also love the whole, um, portraying camaraderie and friendships that form quickly because you're in those tense situations. Oh yeah. Or because you're facing the end and you just want some companionship. I, I find a lot of people like things to boil down to romance or sex. And I'm like, that that's really simplifying the complexity of human relationships. Speaking of boiling things down and undermining <laughs> complexity, um, the scene we get after this beautiful, beautiful thing basically boils down to uh, is the super duper is the super duper planet blower upper gun ready? Yeah, almost, sir. Oh, good then. Uh, then they chose to detonate the the beautiful war torn city, and it's so beautifully horrid. Yeah. Um, it just because it's not an explosion. It's not what you see in um like episode four or episode six when the Death Star is used. This isn't a planet explosion. It's not quick for the people on that planet. It is an implosion of everything. And, and it's I think it's also powerful because the only gravitas we had in episode four was uh, Leia's reaction yes. and Obi-Wan saying, uh, was it, I feel as if a thousand voices cried out and then were snuffed out. And it's like, that's not what happened on the ground. That's what, that's what happened externally, but that's not what happened there. Like, they had time to know what was happening. Uh, um... It was it was beautiful, and then afterwards we get a wonderful scene of the Empire again boiled down to, "I'm impressed, General. It can do better. It can do better. Oh, really? Uh, can it? Anyway, I'm taking over this post. I have no idea of, and we'll take all the glory. And and now I understand why Leia loved Tarkin so much. Like." You take Leia's one sentence description and boil it into a character. This is what you get, and it works. Yep. Oh God. Um, also, I love the line. There's a 26% chance of failure. I know where I'm going now. There's a 35% chance <laughs> of failure. <laughs> it's so good. I don't. I don't I don't need luck. I have you. Uh, I have no idea why this is here, but I know it's a good moment between the gunner and the blind guy. Um, and further to that, we get some actually good character stuff in this movie, which very rarely happens. But Captain Andor and Jin's arguments about uh, the fundamental differences of their characters, one of them being within the rebellion, one of them being this wonderful jaded fool um about the empire super duper planet blower up or gun um and we get to uh we get to uh after that one of the funnest scenes in the movie vader's reveal 
which again from a cinematography standpoint just is so beautiful to me because um there's a lieutenant krennic who went to lord vader because tarkin took his gerb that's all you need to know vader shows up um the shot counter shot shot technique that is used in just about every media hits a lot different when all of krennic's shots are littered with vader's silhouettes mm-hmm all of them and it's just like oh my god even when we are shown that this has all the space in the world it still feels cramped yeah it still feels pressured just because you have that silhouette um i also love the line be careful not to choke on your aspirations yeah we just got potty darth vader which shouldn't work at all it does oh my god it does Oh my god, it didn't take away from anything. Oh, it's oh my god, it's it's just it's just beautiful. Um I'm I'm sorry. Um I love the infighting within the alliance, not just within the Rogue One crew, but about what they should do about the super duper planet blower upper gun that they may or may not have information that they can easily get on it. Mm-hmm. Um and um, just the entire the entire way to go about it, you feel the stakes, and you can see every point of view. Yep. Um. And then we get um, we get the small band of people together, including Jin, Cashin, uh, uh, Blind Guy, Gunner, um, and uh, Imperial Pilot. And um, we get K2SO saying, Jin, I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. (laughs) Um, And I have get in your number two droid spot. (laughs) And then um, the when they named their um, fleet Rogue One, ooh, he said it. I just have it in notes because I hate and love when they do that. Um... I have a bad feeling about this quiet. <laughs> um, but they get to uh, the Empire's information outpost, um, which is basically Hawaii. <laughs> and but less it's, happy. It's so nice of the Empire to allow Hawaiian stormtroopers at the base of their information in Hawaii. Because I'm, well, I'm they, sorry. Uh, they have inclusive initiatives. I, 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 I don't call, know why you find be- this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I really enjoy the beach troopers. I did too. I really and, did. And yet the blind man has a better shot than most of them, which is a big win for me. Because as you know, I get pissed off when stormtroopers have good aim. <laughs> they are not, they are not supposed to. Um, s- Scarif, they're going to Scarif. Why does no one tell me anything, R2? You're a waste of thought, 3PO, but it's nice to see my boy R2 in command of his forever subordinate again. Yep. Um, Jin giving K2 the gun. Um, K2's, uh, the rebels, they went over there. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sorry, it was so, so funny. So, um, 
again, again, um, this movie to me, and I know it's not the same to you, had environments that are great, acting that is wonderful, but characters that don't matter bar K2SO, who gets his very own, very well done, very fitting death. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a gorgeous thing. But speaking of gorgeous, let's talk about uh, the simultaneous land and space fight. Yeah, because we we definitely didn't see anything like this is this is revenge of the Sith level good space battle mm-hmm. combined with a land battle. Yep, which is something they never did. Um. Ladies and gentlemen, the dark troopers, the stormtroopers, semi-attractive cousins who can aim. Uh, for whatever reason. Um, but the whole the whole thing, like honestly, I'm not going to be able to do this justice. We can't show any footage. Go and watch the space battle and uh, the land battle of um of uh, Scarif. Like go watch it. It's on it's, Disney Plus. It's 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 a sight to behold. It is such a masterclass in the filming, the editing, the framing, the like just it's so well done. Yep. You're captivated in such a good way. Like it's so we we've gushed about the it. Rest, the rest the rest of this movie is now. entirely captivating. Um, because we're getting to the blind man's heroics to transmit the Death Star plans and his emotional death. Yeah. Um, because it is very, very well done, and it's one of those things that can only be done by a blind man who legitimately can't react to anything other than sounds going around it. Mm-hmm. Who is so singularly minded on that the force is going to be there for him and he's got to get this communications relay up. It's it's so wonderfully done and you feel the weight of his death much like you feel the weight of K2SO's death as soon as it happens. Not only by the acting of others around it but the way it's shot, the way it's composed, it's it's beautiful. Which, again, is why I, I get really angry when people try to undermine that character. Because yep. I'm like, it's a gorgeous character. And also, I don't think... I The things that people like to lean on and criticize that character about, I think they really don't have um, a knowledge of the characters like that through film in the decades. Yeah, because it's at the end of the day, I don't particularly I think there's a place for hyper realistic movies. I do, but they're not what I always want. I want good storytelling. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being hyper realistic. And you need to enjoy those aspects of film that are theatrical, that are thematic. Um, Because. I otherwise let's just watch documentaries all day. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Like why bother? Oh yeah. Um my my folks right now, particularly my mother, are big on these whole true crime things. And they say, Well, oh, this is better than just watching 
a collection of stories and I'm thinking to myself, that's you. And this, based on the true story, is still a story. It is. And um, they embellish a lot of things, but I'm not going to tell you that because you can believe whatever the heck you want. Well, what was the movie Sandra Bullock won the Oscar for? Miss Congeniality? No, I wish she won for that. <laughs> Oscars, you are fucking cowards that she didn't win for Miss Congeniality. You are cowards that she did not win for that movie. You are cowards that she wasn't nominated. You are cowards that she didn't win. But anyway, stuff came out about that actual story about how the the wife of the couple that she was playing um, actually put uh, this young black football player under them and were exploiting him for money and all of this stuff in his football career. It wasn't the happy-go-lucky story that we see on film that Sandra Bullock was in. But I will say somebody brought up a really good point now that all these revelations have come to light. Um, redo the story as realistic, but have Sandra Bullock's play the same character. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh. It's going to work. That would be so, because she's got the range. She can oh, do yeah. it. It'd be awesome. Um, well, yeah, if she could do Miss Congeniality, she can do that. Yeah, but that that's my side point of, yeah, that movie was based on a true story, but whose truth? Yep. Not, it wasn't based on the whole truth. It was based on the happy-go-lucky, we want our talk show Oprah money story. <laughs> like. And speaking of happy-go-lucky, we want our Oprah talk show money story. Let's talk about Vader's slice through the rebel scene. It's so... Sorry, you. I think a lot of people need to understand is that we've seen Anakin Skywalker, we've yeah. seen Darth Vader, we have yes. not seen that transition, and this scene, which does not have dialogue, did that transition. Yep. And very rarely was Vader ever seen on the battlefield. Yeah, like this is, this is showing why he doesn't have to be. His, this is where the reputation comes from. Does that make sense? The yes. reputation precedes him. This is where the reputation comes from. It's so, it's terrifying and so good. Um, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you, and this is going to be a challenge. Um, Steamboat Willie, you remember Steamboat Willie? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, put the uh, Mickey Mouse whistling theme on the do 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 as Vader is slicing. Oh my God! What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Oh, what is wrong with you? Oh God. Um, but no, the the thing is, I I watched Vader slice through through the rebels. It's chilling as all hell. And then I thought to myself, oh, wait a minute. And you put on the Steamboat Willie and you play that scene again. Ah. And well, it works. It's, it's like, what was it? Um, I really enjoyed the Obi-Wan Obi show. Yeah. But that chase scene where the 
spoilers, by the way, for the Obi-Wan show, that chase scene where they're trying to catch Kid Leia, someone put it to, it was not edited or framed well. Like there were a couple things where I was like, you could have gone without this yeah. two seconds and it would have made more sense. But somebody put it to the Benny Hill theme song. <laughs> and it's so good. Oh, oh God, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, and it ends in just the right way with the rebels, like just dying left and right to get this holocron disc to Leia. Yep. And, and they find the thing is the trip isn't done yet. The trip's not oh. done there. It's the, just the start of another story. Oh yeah. It is done very, very well. And this whole movie is done very, very well. Um, the space battle and any combat in this movie is by far and away the best in the Disney era. Mm -hmm. uh, however, placing it in mens rea at the height of the Galactic Empire means that most, if not all, the characters you can become invested in as main pillars of the story will likely die, meaning that both acting-wise and character-wise, all of them have to hit on full cylinders. Um, and acting wise, it did. This is a wonderfully acted film. Uh, however, in the case of your leads, for me, I'm, I'm sure not for you, uh, they're far too bland to ever hit a home run like K2SO and the blind guy. I assume uh, that you... was done because. See, I think though, is that you really gravitate towards those characters. Those, those types of characters, you yeah. very much gravitate to them. Naturally. It could be. It, it could be. This, see, this is where we get into how but do the, we separate our, our personal bias from what's yeah. there. But see, the thing is, Luke was also bland with flaws. Like, Luke Skywalker was bland. But his flaws of his idealistic and his upbringing really contrasts with the other characters mm -hmm. in the original trilogy. Um, Ray in episode seven and why I hate her have no flaws. Everything works for Ray. She did not have to work for anything. Uh, that's that's why legitimately Ray in episode seven and in episode nine was a very, very poorly written character. She was. Um, the thing is, I don't see any of these characters as bad. I see, I see your leads, which are Cashin Andor and Jin Erso, as bland. I think they're bland because we don't get enough time to character interact with them on the level that I feel they would need to to really push this to the level of something like, say, Empire Strikes Back. I can see that. It's just, it's something that never yeah. bugs me. It's also something where I have a very, there are a few things that I have a soft spot for. One is bottle episodes and bottle movies. God damn, I love them. This is not a bottle movie. No, it's not. I'm just saying one of them is that. Yeah. Which is why I freaking loved Cop Shop. By the way, the female lead from that, you I can't remember her name off the top of my head because that's the type of person I am. Actor, actor to watch. Oh my God, she's great. Yeah. Anyway, 
the other thing for me is um, sci-fi tragedies. I, I heard it beautifully explained once um, for one of the plan the original Planet of the Apes movies, um, where it was kind of like when you're in sci-fi, you have the ability to not follow the tropes that you would see in, say, a romance movie or that you would see in, say, a drama. You're allowed to cross-pollinate between those. So you're allowed to kill your characters and to have those those beautiful, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching moments. So I have a I have a soft spot for that. Yeah. Which Rogue One fits into. So that that could be my personal bias as well, as I just have a soft spot for that setup. Yeah. Versus me, I can't I can't buy into that if I don't if I'm not invested in the characters. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, I I here have uh, multiple ways I can see yeah, things. And, there you and, go. And say for example, K two S O, I'm invested in his character. I care when he dies. The blind guy and the gunner, I care about when the blind guy dies, because the gunner isn't there and he's not perfect with the force. And the gunner just going, just holding him and saying, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. Mm-hmm. Chilling, gripping stuff. I wish I could feel that with the main characters who aren't bad because they are acted very, very well with what they're given. Yeah. Like, See, it's, I- it's done very well. It just, I don't care about Bland as a lunchbox characters. Uh, so to to me, it was um, I connected with the subversion death. No yep. one's coming to save the main characters. Yep. And a it's th- that a that thousand percent. But that's you connecting with a death. Yeah. Versus you connecting with the character. And connecting with a death, I can see. Yep. Because well, we you can, know can... there's an inherent feeling of hopelessness. It's shot throughout this entire movie. Everything is making you feel pressured and cramped. Every shot. And it doesn't matter if it's in sunny, wonderful Hawaii <laughs> or in um, or in the equivalency of Tatooine on Black Friday in Moss Eisley. Can I can I say everything? I'm I'm really happy that we didn't have to deal with this is Tatooine. Oh no 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 no! This planet totally isn't Tatooine. It's not Tatooine. I swear. Yes, no. Any planet had their identity, and when Yavin Four popped up, I'm like, yay! Yeah, I I was like, thank you for for not pulling another. Oh no, this is definitely not Tatooine. No, no, uh, uh, this is, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's definitely not Tatooine land. (laughs) On that note, I did not rank this movie, but I heard you did. I have a hard time ranking this movie. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Because the stuff it's done well, like, if I say to you, your cinematography is damn close to being on par with Empire. You have a good movie. Yeah. If if I can say that this is probably the best acted movie out of Star Wars, period. You have a good movie. 
Mm -hmm. your space combat is among the best in Star Wars. Um, the only thing that wasn't was your lightsaber combat, but that's because you didn't have anybody on the rebel side with the lightsaber at the time. Um, but what it's you shot, mean? It's shot. Are well, you trying to well. tell me you didn't like gothic rave party lightsaber battle? Are you trying to tell oh, me you didn't like that one? I didn't say I didn't like that, but compared to let's say, oh, I don't know, Luke Vader episode six. <laughs> or Anakin Obi-Wan episode three. I'm or saying we're, we're a little bit off. <laughs> um, but no, I have, I have an issue ranking this one because I can see it being like, cause my rankings are uh, five, four, six, I five, four, six, three. I forget if the next one is eight or whatever. I have a problem because there are days when I can put this higher up than Jedi because the stuff Rogue One does, it does very, very well. And on my more cynical days, I can put it below three and be happy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it below Jedi, but above Revenge of the Sith. Oh, I think I think that's where it's going to go just because it's it's a happy middle ground um, character wise, at least for me, with your mains, you are missing something. Uh, but uh, from a direction standpoint, from a cinematography standpoint, from a battle standpoint and just for a good time in a situation standpoint, you owe it to yourself to watch Rogue One. It is phenomenal. It is so, so, so good. Uh, also, now that you're reminding me, it came out after... Episode 7. Yeah, after 7. I'm just like, oh, it was such a good palate cleanser, man. Well, that that's just it. I wonder if the reason why um, Cassian and Jin didn't work for me is because we were very cognizant of how Rey was received in Episode 7. Yeah. And you can you can make them bland, but a hell of a lot like more likable than Ray. Mm -hmm. You can have them with flaws. You can you can have them written because I'm sorry, regardless of what I say about the leads of this movie, it's still better than Ray. Episode no. and, seven, right? and that is nothing against the actress. I feel like no, just, no, just this be, is, because no. of the fan base, we want to say it is nothing no, about nothing the against Daisy Ridley. Yeah, it's nothing against Ray, Daisy Ridley. She's wonderful. She did the best with what she was given. She had some great performance work, but at the end of the day, her character was done. A, I would say was done the worst misservice in nine. Yes, it, it was. We were, we were going somewhere. Yeah, because eight was trying to, to save her. It felt like, you know, wait, uh, wait. There's a trope in stories that like happened recently, and by recently I mean the last couple decades, where it's like your idealistic character, your or your princess, or your social justice warrior, or something. The character like that suddenly has to come face to face with like, but you're not perfect, and yep. maybe you're not doing this in the right way. 
because it's not working now. And yep. they have to face that. And I felt like that's where eight was going to try and take her. And, and then she nine was happened. compelling because, OK, OK, we, we could have a whole nother discussion about Ray a year yeah. later because, God, it was it's it's so sad. But what isn't sad is this movie. You should definitely this, watch this, this movie. movie is great. Go watch yeah. it like I. <laughs> I can't remember us being this thrilled to to watch a movie since Empire. Like, yeah, no. It, it's so, and I think it also, the fact that it's so rare in series movies, um, especially when that series gets going, where you have a movie that yes, it fits in, but you can get it without watching any of the others. Yep, it's like, wonderful. Like the the impact of of Leia showing up at the end. That might not hit you the way it hit me, but but it's the whole still there. It, it still works. It's still. Yep. Um, I think my final. I think I think the only thing that the only one that does it. I would honestly say is a new hope and empire. Yeah, because empire you can get into right away without knowing anything. Yeah, and, and it hits the it ground tells running. Its own, yeah, and it tells its own self-contained story if it needs to but as part of a trilogy it works even harder yeah <laughs> but yeah we could go on and on and on about this yeah, movie but do, like we we love it um i think the criticisms that we have it's it's like when we were talking about the simpsons it's splitting hairs yep like it's <laughs> it's we know how great it can be oh. so you're, oh, yeah. you're splitting hairs at this point in such a real way Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. I will gladly take Rogue One over any of the sequel and two episodes of the prequel trilogy. Any day of the week. Mm hmm. On that note. Beautiful movie. I'm going to use this time to say uh, thank you so much for listening. Glad you enjoyed this. <clears throat> if you are so inclined or if you've been on our website at www.deathpixie.ca in the new year so throughout 2024 you'll be seeing some changes to how yes. we do things and how yes. how our our look is we're going to be looking out to to try and get some some merch yes like some stickers nothing too fancy merch. just some stickers some buttons you know. I, I want some merch uh, so that's coming down. I only mention it because we didn't mention it in our our State of the Union in address. Our, in our update. State of the Union address. Hey, yeah. you want to know something else we didn't mention in our State of the Union address, which in hindsight we really should have. What? Death Pixie has a new album out. Death Pixie does have a new album out. Yeah. The Halloween album. It's one in the coven, um, complete with two Halloween theme songs. Woohoo! And a bunch of other stuff that is not at all themed to Halloween. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun to make. Yeah. So you can look up Death Pixie on Vimeo, um, yes. or you can go to www.deathpixie.ca and click on the Vimeo link that we have yeah. everywhere on that page. Uh, in other news, we have one more movie we're reviewing for this series, and that is the parody to end all parodies, Spaceballs. 
I wouldn't say to end all parodies. There's a lot of Star Wars parodies out there. I mean, there are, really, but I, when you, I mean, when you at, come to... at the time, it set the tone for what a a movie parody can be. At the time it was released, it oh, set that tone. You are going to tone. defend this movie. I'm going to tear it the hell down. Why do you have to make the little child inside me cry? Because you make the inner penguin in me cry every day. <laughs> um, also, we love you all. Thank you so much for joining us, especially to you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Do you have anything you want to say to the people? Uh, thank you so much, people. Uh, it was incredibly hilarious to try to walk back into Legacy of the Force a year after we did it. So... <laughs> Uh, was it was great. It was a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Clam Jammers podcast. Check us out at clamjammers.ca for all your coven needs. Hello and welcome- SHUT UP GRANDPA!